Welcome to the C3 Coffs Harbour podcast. Today's message is a recording from our online service. To join our online church community, visit c3ch.online.church and you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Enjoy the message. Hey, welcome to week three of our study through Romans. Um, we are super excited just to be tiptoeing through um, Paul's letter to the church in Rome. And, and we're just going to stop along the way and, and just draw out uh, different things that, that, that we think will be really helpful for all of us in our journey with Christ and indeed um, in life. Um, if you weren't here uh, for the last two services, um, feel free to jump onto Spotify or into our podcast and, and listen back to those. Um, but in a nutshell, what we looked at week one was the history of Rome what was happening uh, around Rome at the time. There was a lot of unrest between uh, the Romans and the Jews, and the Jews were exiled out of Rome. Um, and, and so in that time, the, the Christian church that was just on the rise uh, was led by the, the Gentile converts, the non-Jewish converts. And then when the Jews eventually came back into Rome, uh, there was tension that existed between the converted Jews coming back and doing things their way and the Gentiles who had had the church for the last five or so years. Uh, we're going, hold on a minute. No, no, we've been doing it this way. And so Paul writes the letter to this church in Rome to sort of steady the ship, to write the course and say, hey, you guys, you know what? It's, it's not about Jewish custom and culture. It's not about, um, you know, the, the progressivism of, of the Gentiles or their preferences. It's actually about the, the kingdom of Jesus. It's about uh, the new covenant that he has established for us all to live in. And so then we looked at the Protestant Reformation and how it was spearheaded by Martin Luther about 500 or so years ago. And primarily that came out of uh, his study of Romans. And we get five key um, <clears throat> doctrines from, um, from the Reformation that are vitally helpful for us in framing uh, what is you know, baseline Christian theology. And, and they're five Latin terms, um, each with an English meaning, thankfully. Um, and they are sola scriptura, which means scripture alone, that we don't need the policies of man, we don't need the customs of our forefathers, that really scripture alone is enough to lead us and guide us, that it is God's inspired word. And so that's one of the truths that we get out of the Protestant Reformation. The second one is sola gratia, that it is by grace alone that we are saved, not by our works or our merit, but by God's goodness and God's kindness and his grace alone. It's sola fide, which is by faith alone. It's by God's grace alone, it's by our faith alone, not by our works, not by how great we are, but just because we believe and have faith in who Jesus is. Sola Christus, it is Christ alone, that we don't find salvation, we don't find any other way to the Father except through Jesus. He indeed is the way, the truth, and the life. And the fifth pillar of uh, doctrine from the, the Protestant Reformation is sole deo gloria, which means to God be the glory alone. That keeps us humble, that keeps us centered, that keeps us grounded, that keeps us yielding and dependent upon God, that it's not about how great we are, how gifted we are, how amazing we are, that really the only reason we have life is sola Christus because of Christ alone. And the only reason we have giftings is sola gratia because of grace alone. And it's our faith alone that gives us access to that. So the, the sum total of our life should be sola deo gloria, to give God the glory alone. That was week one. Where we just looked at the history of, uh, of the book of Romans and, and the impact it's had over church history and indeed the Protestant Reformation. Last week we dived into who was Paul? Who was this 
author of, Paul, of, of the book of Romans. And so we looked at how Paul used to be called Saul. He was a, uh, a general of, um, in the religious order. He was a Pharisee, highly educated guy who, uh, when, when the Christian church started to rise, he would persecute them. He would order their execution. He would order their torture and, and was, was hell-bent on doing whatever he could to shut down the rise of Christianity. And he was blinded on his way to Damascus by this light that shone from heaven. The, the voice in the light says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Saul says, who is this? And the voice says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And then we looked at the fact that there's, there's no possible way that um, Saul could have literally been persecuting Jesus, that um, they, they had never crossed paths. The two had never been in the same room, never you know, eaten at the same table. So Saul could never have persecuted Jesus. But then we looked at, hold on, maybe, maybe we, we see a truth here, a kingdom truth that, that God takes the suffering of his people personally. That the, the, the people, God's people, the, the Christians in the early church that were being persecuted by Saul, Jesus was taking that personally. And so he confronts Saul and says, hey, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And we see this exact same principle outplayed in, in Matthew 25 in regards to generosity, that Jesus questions his disciples and says, uh, hey guys, when I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. And the disciples are like, when have we ever seen you hungry or naked or thirsty? And then he, he says to them, look, when, what you do for the least of these, you do unto me. So he takes our generosity personally. When we are generous and kind to other people, God takes that personally and he will bless us. When, when we are persecuted, he will take that personally and he will uh, uh, exact vengeance or he will right the wrong for us. And ultimately, God takes our sin personally. And that's why Jesus went to the cross and willfully laid down his life for us to, to pay the once and for all price and penalty for our sin personally. And the reason he does that, this is to demonstrate how much he loves us because we are made in the, we are the imago Dei, we are the image of God. And so he takes us personally. He takes our generosity, he takes our sin, he takes our suffering all personally, which is why we can trust him with our life. So today we're going to just dive a little bit deeper and actually start to read through um, the, the, the book of Romans. So we're going to start in uh, verse, we'll just read verse 1 to 7 in chapter 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, regarding his son who, as to his earthly life, was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God, in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him we received grace and apostleship, to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes through faith for his name's sake. And you also are among the Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all who are in Rome, who are loved by God and called to be his holy people, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. So verse 1 we looked at last week about, you know, I, I am Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, uh, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, that Paul um, reveals to us uh, his identity, the authorship, and also his mission and position. Then we go into verse 2. Uh, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. So what Paul is unpackaging here to the church is this gospel message, this good news, this, this great um, proclamation that a, a saviour would come, a messiah would come. The good news isn't, in fact, new news. 
In fact, if you were in Jewish culture at that time, um, you would know that the whole Old Testament is riddled with um, prophetic words about the coming Messiah, that the good news, the gospel of, of God sending his son to redeem all humanity is all through the Old Testament. And it's amazing. So it's not new news that should be taking them off guard. They should be aware of the fact that, hold on, this is what our forefathers have been talking about for generation to generation. This is what we study in our Old Testament scriptures. And so here's just a few of these Old Testament scriptures that I've just pulled out that could be really helpful for us in understanding this. Um, Genesis 3.15, we see a, a prophetic insight into the coming Messiah. That Jesus, All the way back in Genesis 3, in the very beginning, we see that already the gospel message is starting to bubble away uh, all the way back then. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. Again, in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, we get a really clear picture of the Messiah that will come, will be born of a virgin. That's a very specific prophecy. Um, and his name will be Emmanuel. God is with them. And, and so we see that, that there's this theme. There's this, this constant prophetic thread all through the Old Testament about the coming Messiah. Psalm 22 is a, a messianic psalm that speaks of the coming uh, Lord, Jesus Christ. Uh, and again, Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. And every single one of, of these passages was written hundreds, literally hundreds of years before Jesus was even born, before Jesus was even brought into this world. Um, men and women have been prophesying about this coming Messiah for generation after generation after generation. So Paul is saying, hey, this gospel, this, this story of Jesus, his death, burial, resurrection, and now the Holy Spirit pouring out and the church scattering, this is not new news. This is something we've been aware of for a very long time. Verse 3 continues to say, Regarding his son, Jesus, who, as to his earthly life, was a descendant of David. So we see here he's pointing out the fact that there is a, a kingship lineage in the blood of Jesus. So obviously Jesus did not have a biological dad. Um, he had a heavenly father who um, uh, conceived him inside the womb of um, Mary, who was a virgin, and so there is this divine miracle that took place inside of her womb. But obviously, he had Jesus had a maternal bloodline that you can see in Matthew chapter one. There is a genealogy of of, of his, biblical history there that you will see Jesus traced all the way back to King David. So Paul is saying, hey, there is a a, a, a kingly bloodline that is running all the way through to Jesus. So he, his dad is the king through his mum. There is a bloodline of the king. He is the king of kings. Then we go into verse, uh, jump into verse 5. It says, Through him we received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes through faith for his namesake. So I'm going to just pause here for a minute. I'm going to camp here in verse 5 because um, there's some really interesting things that, that come out of here. And if we remember the five pillars um, from the Protestant Reformation, um, they are, apart from sola scriptura, which is scripture alone, but we're reading scripture alone, so let's just say that it's there. But the other four are fully on display right here in verse 5. So it starts with through him. Well, through who? Through Jesus. Sola Christus, Christ alone. So through Christ alone, we have received grace. Sola gratia, grace alone. 
and apostleship to call the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from what? Faith. Sola fide. Faith alone for his namesake. So, sole dea gloria, all for the glory of God. So we could read that with a Protestant Reformation lens, um, which we ought to, and, and we could read it like this. Through Christ alone, we've received grace alone and apostleship to call the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith alone so that to God would be the glory alone. Isn't that just so beautiful that, that we see here this richness of truth that is, that is right there um, that the, oftentimes we can read over if we're in a hurry to get through it or if we're just trying to skim read. But when we stop and, and, and pull the handbrake on in our reading of Scripture, we can see that there is so much um, rich truth that just is in plain sight. And I want to just pull out one uh, key phrase here in verse 5 um, that says, obedience that comes from faith. This, this thought, obedience that comes from faith. In, in other words, what Paul is saying here is, obey what you believe. That, that it's, not, you know, it's not just all good and well just to believe something, but we ought to respond to what we believe. In fact, Paul finds this, this thought so significant that he bookends the book of Romans with this. And we see right here in, in verse 5 of chapter 1, right at the very beginning of this whole book, he says, hey, obedience that comes from faith. And then he repeats that exact same phrase in the, very, in the second last verse of this book in, in Romans 16, 26. It's, it's obedience that comes from faith. So we see it at the start and at the end of this book of Romans that Paul's got this thought of, hey, you know what, guys? Obedience must come from faith. We must obey what it is we believe. Why? Well, verse 6 and 7 we will see because we're called to be his people. We're called to be his holy people. Um, I remember when I was uh, 13, 12, 13 years of age and I was at the uh, local basketball stadium and I was just shooting hoops and um, doing what I do as a young ragamuffin. And uh, I was just by myself just putting up some shots, just being you know, heaps cool and sick and stuff. And this old gentleman walks past me and he stops just over to this side of me and just starts watching me just for a couple of minutes. And it was a little bit awkward, a little bit creepy, like this, this guy is watching me, you know, shoot by myself. And then he came over to me and he introduced himself and he was the, the president of Coffs Harbour Basketball. He was the, the coach of the state league team. He was the, he was the guy that would take teams of, uh, and squads over to America and, and train with, you know, NBA coaches and, and just did incredible things. And he pulled me aside and he said, hey, son, I just wanted to give you some advice. I said, oh, okay. Um, and he said, looking at you play, you've got a very natural way of playing. You've got some natural ability and talent. And I was like, well, thank you very much. You know, um, That's awesome. I, I, I know that, but thank you for you know, putting words to that. And then he said, look, here's what I, what I would say is um, with, with your shot, as natural as it might be, can I just give you a quick tip to help you with your positioning of your hands so that your shot would be better? And he said, look, with, with your, your left hand, if you're right-handed, which I, which I am, he said, with your left hand, that's going to be the guiding hand. And you want that to be straight up and down, and that's going to guide the ball where you want it to go. And it's just going to do this motion, right? And then your shooting hand, the, the strength hand, is going to project it. So this is going to direct it. This is going to project it. And so when, when you hold the ball like this and you, you cradle it in your hands, 
and then you, you try and find the little grooves with your fingertips and then you snap the ball and you like that. And, and he said, then these two fingers here, your, your pointer and your middle finger, that's where you want to direct the ball. That's the exact you know, fine-tuning location and you just do that motion. And you get the nice arc on it, you get the backspin. And he said, if you practice on these things, it won't be easy to start with, but if you just lock in your hands in this motion, um, I, I guarantee you, your shot will get better. And I, know, I knew that at that moment I had two options. I could um, you know, hear and listen to what he was saying and go back to shooting how I'd always shot, whichever felt natural to me. Or secondly, I could listen to what he was saying and obey what he said and put it into practice. Now, thankfully, I chose option two. I, I listened to what he said and I obeyed it. And so there was just hour after hour, day after day, week after week, I would just practice this motion. And even now, 25 odd years later, I still automatically shoot with that exact same motion. And I noticed that when I started as a young guy, putting that, um, that simple little tip into practice, my, my percentage got better and better. I became a more accurate shooter. Um, that doesn't mean that I'm still an accurate shooter now, but back then it was really helpful. Um, and so it got me thinking, there's, James talks about almost this exact concept in his book. And he says this, um, when, when it comes to life, when it comes to you know, the Christian expression of life, he says, don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Don't merely listen to the word of God, but do what it says. See, if I um, had have merely listened to this coach, and that's all I did, then I would be deceiving myself into thinking that, I knew better than him, that my talent was somehow better than his knowledge, and so I didn't need that, and so I would never um, have probably got a better shot um, because I didn't listen to someone who was more advanced than me and, and better uh, and knew more. Um, so I, thankfully, I, I didn't deceive myself, but I heard what he said, I put it into practice. And, and James is saying the same sort of thing. It's like when you read the Word of God, when you hear the Word of God, when God speaks to you, um, don't merely just hear that word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. Because if all we do is read scripture, but we don't walk away affected, we don't walk away changed, we don't walk away by adapting or, or remodeling our lifestyle so it lines up with God's word, then we deceive ourselves into thinking that we have life figured out more than God has life figured out. That we can convince ourselves that somehow in 2020, um, we have progressed to a state of living that we, we know more than God. We know better than God. That maybe he's a bit old-fashioned. Maybe he's a bit outdated. You know, God never had an iPhone. He doesn't know anything about technology. He doesn't know about living in this post-Christendom age of, of te technology and, uh, and all this stuff. And so we deceive ourselves when we don't put God's word into practice. And he goes on to say, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law, right? Whoever looks intently into God's word and then continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in all that they do. That's epic, right? That's, that's incredible. That if we gaze into God's word, if we study God's word, if we're looking at the book of Romans right now, then 
you know, we deceive ourselves if we don't put it into action. But if we allow it to change us and change our, our way of thinking, change our way of living, if we allow God's word to then navigate our behaviors and our lifestyle, if we put it into practice and we do it, we will be blessed in all that we do. And um, in the spirit of full disclosure, I want to be perfectly honest about my intention for um, teaching on this series at this time. Um, and, and my desire is to remind all of us of our identity in Christ. And I'm not ashamed about that, and I, I, I stick by that. There is a, a, a not-so-hidden agenda, because I'm just spilling my guts now, um, that I want to remind us all of who we are in Christ, the bigness of the gospel and what the gospel means for us who have now been saved by it, transformed by it, what that actually means for us in this life. I was talking to somebody uh, this week and, and they were just encouraging me, saying how great they've found the Roman series and really enjoy reading the book of Romans and said that it's like a um, uh, solid rock foundations um, for the Christian life. And and then they went on to explain, you know what, it feels like our foundations have been shaken through COVID-19, through social distancing, through um, restrictions on where we can and can't go. It feels like our, our whole life has been, um, the foundations have been shaken. And so for them, Romans has been a, a re-solidifying of rock-solid foundations for them. And that's exactly what I want for our church. That's exactly what I want for you who is watching this, that, that even though things might get shaken, things might get stirred, things might look differently, what I want us to do is, is get our foundations in, in Christ set. And I remember just a couple of years ago, our, our house um, started to sink and um, it was just gradually getting lower and lower and lower. And um, I, I spoke to a mate of mine who um, was a, is a concreter and he, he said, listen, what we want to do is, is dig out the piers um, where the house is sinking um, and I'm going to come around and uh, I'm going to drill some holes in the piers and let's chuck some massive steel beams inside those piers and I'm going to pour a bunch of concrete in over that. And so when the concrete sets, it grips against the piers, it grips against the beams and, and it will keep that, uh, that, that corner of the house solid and it won't sink anymore. And sure enough, I did that. I dug around the piers. Um, he came in, you know, had a hammer drill that drilled right into the piers, put these big steel beams in, poured a bunch of concrete in, and the foundation was set. It was solid, and my house hasn't moved since. And so that's, that's what we want to do with this series. That's what we want to do with, with Romans is, is dig up around the foundations of life for all of us, dig up what we believe, how we view life, how we view the world, and we want to drill right into the very core of who we are and we want to jam the truth, which is like metal rods of, of Jesus Christ, into all of us. Let the Holy Spirit, uh, like cement, pour around everything and then solidify the truth of God in us so that having done all to stand, we can continue to stand because we have built our life on a solid foundation of truth, which is Jesus. Because He is the way, He is the truth, and He is the life. And so I, I, my, my heart and my prayer for Romans is that, that every single one of us watching this would have our foundation set rock solidly on the Word of God, on the revelation of Christ in us, that we would not just um, uh, see God's Word, but we would respond to it. And so, um, so in, in saying all that, what, what I, 
really want us to see is who we are, whose we are, and what we have. That, those three things shape our identity, right? Those three things um, often form the foundation of our life. And I honestly believe in, and, and you, you know, people can go, oh, this is a bit hypey, or this is a bit, you know, maybe this is hyperbole when you say this, but um, I honestly believe that when anybody, when you're watching this, me here speaking this, when any of us um, uh, discovers who we are, discovers whose we are, and also discovers what we have, then I honestly believe we can change the world. I honestly believe with all my heart that we can change the world. When we not just realize who we are, whose we are, what we have, but then we respond to who we are, whose we are, and what we have, then we will change the world. We don't just merely read God's word. We don't just merely understand who we are in Christ. But when we put it into practice, then uh, James would say that we would be blessed in all that we do, right? So um, so we, we see this right here in, in these first seven verses. We get a glimpse into who I am, whose I am, and what I have. So here we go. Who am I? Well, verse 7 says that I am loved by God. And called to be part of his holy people. So that's who I am. I'm, I'm a person that is loved by God. I'm accepted into God's family. I am called to be part of his kingdom. I'm called to be part of his holy people. I am called to be connected and active in the life of his church. I'm not called to be a, a, a spectator. I'm called to be a player. I'm called on the field of life to be active in the outworking of the gospel all over this world which means being connected and part of a community of faith like C3 Coffs Harbour. Whose am I? Well, verse 6 says I belong to Jesus. Like, that's pretty cool, right? That's like, that's like when I was in high school, I was the, the, the skinny wimpy kid, and so I would make friends by being you know, a class clown with the big bully kids. And so once I befriended the big bully kids, I felt secure and safe in the playground because if anyone picked on me, they had to go through them. And so for us in life, we, we have the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who we belong to. And so we have the, the, the all-powerful, all all-knowing, um, sovereign ruler of the cosmos on our side, and we belong to him. So um, bring it on, right? Like if God is for us, who can be against us? So, so we can live this life with confidence, knowing who we are as loved, called uh, children of God, whose we are as, as possessions of Jesus Christ, that we don't need to be afraid of anything. And then what do we have? Well, what do we have? We see that in verse 5. We have apostleship and grace. Now, we could go you know, back and forth about what does that mean? What does apostleship mean? But, but in real simple terms, um, here's, here's how I'd like to unpackage it today, is that apostleship, for me, it speaks of like authority, and uh, anointing. So it's like, it's like the indwelling of God, that, that as his children, as being called to be part of his family, as uh, belonging to Jesus, that we now have this indwelling, we now have this uh, power connection up and down, right, with God. This is like this apostleship. There's an anointing, there's an authority, right, between us and God. And not only that, is we have grace, which grace speaks of, favor and influence that when we have this apostleship which is anointing which is authority which is this up down connection which ultimately is this indwelling the apostleship brings the indwelling then grace is the outworking 
so that's how we interact with others. That's how we serve and love people. That's how we deal with offense and bitterness. That's how we deal with generosity and kindness, knowing that God takes our life personally. That's why he went to the cross, because he took our sin personally. He takes our suffering personally, and he will say, I'll take care of and I'll make right all the wrongs against you. He takes our generosity personally and will bless us when we bless other people. So this all, all comes down to, and all this, for me, um, shrouded in this top and tail of Romans. In 1 verse 5, 16 verse 26, is this obedience that comes from faith. And so are we going to not just believe what we've spoken about here today about who we are, about whose we are, about what we have? Are we going to take that faith and knowledge of that and are we going to actually walk it out in obedience? Are we going to be who the Bible describes us as? Or are we going to play small? Are we going to play insecure? Are we going to believe the lies of the enemy who tells us we are less than? Are we going to believe the lies of the past that try and keep us trapped there? Or are we going to you know, let go of the past and hold on to the future by uh, the obedience that comes from faith in who Jesus says we are and who, who he calls us to be? So here's a couple of quick questions. Is... And for me as well, is my faith, is your faith marked by obedience? Or in other words, do you obey what you believe? Do you merely hear the word and so deceive yourself by not putting it into action? Do you know who you are? Do you know whose you are? And, and do you know what you have? And are you willing to, to live your life from this understanding? Because I believe when you do, you will change the world. And as we come to a close, uh, verse 7, just uh, as we just dive into that, talks about to all who are in Rome, who are loved by God, there's this reminder that we are loved by God and called to be his holy people. We're called to live at a certain standard. We're called to live at the standard that the scripture um, you know, teaches us to live at. Like James sort of said, when we, when we gaze into the perfect law, we continue in it. And if we do that, we will be blessed in all that we do. So we're called to be holy people because God loves us. And then Paul prays that, that grace and peace would come to us from God our Father, from the Lord Jesus Christ. And so um, Ephesians 1 verse 7 to 8 gives us a very um, succinct um, reinforcement of this, this thought. Uh, Paul essentially says that we're called to be saints, uh, that God loves us, calls us to be his people, then he gives us his grace and his peace to do so. We don't need to rely on our own strength, our own talent, our own ability, but on the abundant supply of love, grace, and peace that God has so lavishly poured out on us and for us. And so we're going to just stop right there, just in those first seven verses. Um, and hopefully uh, this Bible study has been a blessing to you. Hopefully you found this um, you know, really helpful for who you are. And like I said, I really am trying my best to make sure that all of us are getting our foundation set, that we are just reinforcing our life with the steel beams of who Jesus is, the truth of, of God incarnate in Jesus. And then we've got the Holy Spirit like cement to pour all over that and just solidify and lock that in so that we can live this life for him and watch him change the world through us. How does that happen? Well, when, when, our, when God changes our world, he changes the world. 
Because part of him changing us means that the change in us changes other people. We aren't truly changed until the change in us actually affects somebody else. That we are affected by him, changed by him in such a way that our change actually blesses, releases and helps other people. And so that's how we change the world. By We are transformed by renewing our minds to who God says we are and not just looking at that but outworking that, that we have the indwelling, that we have the outworking and then that's how we change the world. When our world is changed, the world is changed. So right now as we bring this um, message to a close, I want to pray for anyone today who, who needs to cross that line of faith, who needs to you know, come on board with the plan and purpose that God has for them. That maybe you've tried um, so many other methods, so many other ideologies, so many other worldviews to figure out life, but maybe today God's Spirit has revealed the truth in your heart that Jesus is the way, Jesus is the truth, and Jesus is the life. And that like Paul is writing to the church in Rome, that, that you are called to be part of his holy family. You are called to be part of his holy people. And, and today... I want to invite you to make a decision to, to make that commitment to him. Um, it's not by doing a 10-step program. It's not by doing a lengthy course or it's not by being the most perfect person on the planet. It's simply by putting your faith, your faith alone in Christ alone. It's sola fide, it's sola Christus. And then when we do that, it's God's grace alone that is poured into your heart and into your life that will transform you from the inside out. And so we're going to just pray a prayer right now. And if you need to make that decision today to follow Jesus, to become a disciple of Jesus, then I want you to pray this prayer with me. I also want you at the end of this prayer just to click um, the I Commit My Life to Jesus tab, which will come up in the chat bar. And also just fill in a little live prayer request so that we can connect with you. We can know who it is that's made that decision today, whether you're making that decision for the first time or whether you're coming back to recommit your life to Jesus. We would love to connect with you and encourage you in your faith journey today. So, hey, why don't we just bow our heads and close our eyes today. Father, we just thank you for your word today that the book of Romans is so rich with truth that reminds us of who we are in you. And Lord, I pray specifically for any person that, Lord, doesn't know you, but today feels like they need to make that, that step of faith over the line and put their trust in you. Lord, I pray that right now they would do that. Anybody that needs to come back to faith, that for whatever reason, uh, Lord, they've, they've walked away or drifted away, Father, I just thank you that today you would bring them um, back into relationship with you. And so, Lord, we just pray that, uh, Lord, we would uh, see our sin forgiven as we confess before you that we need you, that in our own strength we can't do this. And so we pray that you would forgive us of our sin and that we would choose to live an upright life uh, according to your plan and your purpose. And Lord, when we read your word, when we hear your word, we would not be deceived by not doing it, but we would be transformed and, and have our whole life blessed by, by staring into your perfect law and, and, and keeping in it and obeying in it and living it out. So we thank you for every person here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Like I said, please reach out to us. We'd love to connect with you, to encourage you in your faith journey. And um, for everyone today who's been watching, thank you so much uh, for being with us. We are super excited uh, for what the future holds. We can't wait to get back together and worship in the same vicinity together. Um, but until then, we have online church. We just want to encourage you to continue to share, continue to invite people to, to come and watch these services. Uh, but right now, the service is not finished. We're going to enter into a time of worship together. So why don't we do that? Why don't we get ready to worship Jesus together?
Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information about our online services, visit c3ch.online.church and come say hi on Facebook and Instagram.